If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be shockingly magical. In this episode, we find answers to what steps can you take to avoid a boring old blasé wizard? And what traits did a real-life megamind Nikola Tesla possess that we can use to flavor our casters? And what details can you pull from real science to make your magic in-game feel more fantastical but still super grounded? It's a tough, uh, tough middle ground to hit. Yes, and I will blend them with excellence. Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Travis. My name is Jordan, brother. <laughs> Jordan, brother. Jordan, brother. <laughs> Just got to make sure that everyone understands exactly what the relation is. Yeah. <laughs> brother. Not father. <laughs> Not friend. God damn brother. <laughs> All right. So this week we are talking about wizards. Because they are so flippin' exciting. Wizards can do so much in D&D. They're your way out of anything except a fight. <laughs> and they can wreak havoc in a fight also. Yeah, I was gonna say, they can get you out of a fight. You just fireball. Yeah, you can just bug out. But nuke the site from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. <laughs> That's what a wizard can do. But yes, they've only got one real weakness. And that's standing in front of an angry pugilist taking a punch to the face okay yeah. got it other than that they're good okay but that's like saying that i have a weakness because i can't fly like i'm not meant to fly <laughs> so yeah but if everyone else on the court can fly you're gonna play some bad b-ball <laughs> god your references go so deep and so weird thank you well i think the the point that i'm trying to get at is that if you're attempting to punch something to death, you're playing a terrible wizard. Yeah. If we want to learn to play a really good wizard, then we have to lean into the skills that the wizard is good at. And taking a punch to the face is simply not one of them. <laughs> exactly. Just like mine isn't flying. Yeah, work on that. It's a character flaw, really. Yeah, so you're not making a fighter. That's pretty obvious. You're also not making... It's really easy to fall into this trap, which I've done before which is I start making a wizard character and all of a sudden I realize that I've made Gandalf Merlin the Great. <laughs> You've made the stereotypical wizard. Yeah. Instead of a pointy hat, his flops over to the side. But other than that, <laughs> it, it flops to the left and not the right. Yeah. I want to be very clear about that. And of course, he's got the classic old wizard voice of Deckard Kane. <laughs> Stay a while and listen. I'm not a conjurer of cheap tricks. <laughs> yes. You just go through the entire campaign quoting. And there's no character there. You've made a wizard, but you can't think of anything other than what those ones said. Well, and the reason why those were so important culturally is because they were some of the first. But that doesn't mean we can't modify, modify, make things a little bit more interesting. And I think what we're trying to do is hit a nice middle ground between fighter and Merlin. <laughs> Okay, maybe that's not the best spectrum. Anyways, anyways, Jordan and I 
have been discussing what makes wizards more interesting, and that, to us, is their intelligence. And it's one of the more challenging skills to play up if you haven't put thought into it, because you may have heard this before. I know I've experienced this before. It's hard to play smarter than you are, and I'm not as smart as a wizard. (laughs) But there's still some things that we can do, which we'll talk about in this episode, that help to play that hyper-intelligent party member. And where this all came from for Jordan and I is we were sitting around talking about how Basically, wizards are the scientists of their world. Absolutely. If you think about it, okay, let's run through quickly some of the different classes. So you've got clerics who have had magical powers bestowed by their god that they don't really understand. They're just like, lay on hands is just like, God, I hope my Lord helps me. (laughs) This will work if my god still likes me. (laughs) If I believe enough. You know, they don't really know what they're doing. And then you've got warlocks who made a deal that could go south at any moment, like clerics, (laughs) but they're not actually getting it from a deity. They're like, I'm going to make a deal with the devil, something (laughs) real powerful, and I still don't know what I'm doing. You've got sorcerers who are opposite of wizards in the fact that they don't have any idea what they're doing either. They've got (laughs) wild magic that's coming from their blood They just wave their hands around and something will come out of their fingertips, but who knows what. (laughs) And what I love about that is that you could ask them, hey, you know, how do I do what you do? And they could never explain it versus somebody that can sit down and explain like artistic principles to you. And that's kind of where we're going with this, because then you've got classes like druids, which druids start down this path where they're kind of channeling magic in the natural order of things. They have much more of a connection with the magic, perhaps, than other classes. Yeah, and it seems like it's probably based on natural laws and principles that when they heal you, they're like, ooh, this concoction of herbs is going to help. Makes this magic. Which finally puts you back at wizards who gained their magic through study. Yeah. Through dedication of their lives to the study and the practice of magic. So of all of that list, they're probably the only ones that can actually tell you how magic works. Yeah, those wonderful nerds. They fully grasp the fact that they are tapping into the goddamn cosmos and they know exactly how they're doing it. (laughs) Which brings us back around to the fact that they are scientists. Magic is science of fantasy. And they're the ones that are studying it, unlocking all of its secrets. Yeah. Who discovers a new spell? Wizards do. That's why those certain spells are named after wizards. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. And we say all this because we want you to be inspired to play an epic wizard. So, Travis, I'm excited to get into this in Kinship Camp, where we'll look at why a scientific mind could be the core of a magnificent wizard, using our character plan that we built as a guide. All right. This is Kinship Camp where rich histories and diverse quirks are explored between weary adventurers around the safety of the fire. They can turn your friends into dinosaurs with transmutation. (laughs) But they shouldn't. But they can. (laughs) All right, so wizards being scientists is a really fun starting point for me. Yeah, Jared, I, I think it does actually add a lot 
of flavor to a typical wizard so that we can avoid creating Gandalf again. Yeah, but we never want to stop with that loose of a concept, just science. So we're going to flesh out two wizards based loosely on some really cool scientists. So you have been absolutely engrossed in a book for the last couple of weeks, and all I've been hearing is facts about your scientist. Yes, the peculiar gentleman Nikola Tesla. <laughs> He's endlessly fascinating. I particularly preferred... Uh, ah, yes, uh, Mr. David Bowie. Yes, portrayed him in a fantastic film. <laughs> uh, that's all I can see whenever somebody says Nikola Tesla. I'm like, oh yeah, David Bowie is pretty dope. Well, unfortunately, what I see now is well. Unfortunately, what I see now is Ethan Hawke in the very bizarre Tesla film that he starred in recently. Oh no! I only caught little bits of that, but it was it was rough. Yowzers! It had like Tesla doing karaoke. <laughs> it had Tesla doing karaoke of an '80s song. So figure that one out. <laughs> in in the story of the film, it had Tesla standing in front of paintings of. <laughs> Niagara Falls and uh, planes as if he were really there. We will let you figure out how karaoke of 80s songs works into a Tesla biopic. Anyways, <laughs> you chose Tesla. And I went with a, a different scientist that recently came to my attention uh, due to some research. Lise Meitner. Okay. She was one of the very first people... Well, she was the first person that coined the term nuclear fission and excellent work laid uh, all of the groundwork for our current understanding of a lot of nuclear physics. That's a pretty awesome legacy to leave behind. However, her legacy wasn't recognized uh, as a Nobel Prize winner because instead they gave the Nobel Prize to her 50% research partner on nuclear physics, but didn't give it to her because... Because people suck. Because people suck. Wow. But she's been awarded many other things posthumously because of her incredible work. Man, that's the real downside of science, is that all the greats are recognized after their death. because Long after they're yeah. gone. Yeah. <laughs> In the last 30 years, everyone's been coming back around to Tesla and being like, oh, he actually did this. <laughs> Yeah, not Thomas Edison. Yeah. Anyways, so we're going to go through all of our steps in our character planner. That came from our episode, Amazing Characters from Compelling Backstories, in which we go into much more detail about the framework that we're going through here. And if you want to do this, you can also download the PDF character planner from our website. And so here's the steps real quick. We've got the theme. More or less, uh, yeah, I think for this one, we're going to go with science, but... It's kind of that general story that you want to try to tell in your theme. The four steps of the backstory, which are state the status quo. What was their life like before they became an adventurer? Create the kickoff. What event transpired to make them become an adventurer? Resist destiny. Why they don't want to be an adventurer. And call to adventure. But why they must rise to the adventure. <laughs> they must then their ultimate want and their ultimate need. Basically, what do they internally want the most? And why is that not the best thing that they need to learn? How do they find character growth by realizing what they really need? It's their major internal conflict. And finally, their ally and their nemesis. 
because every good adventure needs both. Exactly. And then, of course, we'll jump into their personality traits to really get a feel for how to role play these characters, because without those, I mean, you're kind of just making it up as you go. Yeah. But with a couple of core traits laid out, we can much better role play these characters. So let's start with the theme. I think it's pretty clear we're doing science. <laughs> we Is talked there... about this a lot already. So. Yeah. Let's, you get it. Let's move on. So their backstory. Yes. Yeah, so their status quo. And I think it's usually either a school or a research facility, something like that. That's where scientists are. Yeah. I mean, that's where you can find them if you're looking for scientists out in the world. You'll only find the really troubled scientists at a bar or <laughs> some kind of underground fighting ring. So I don't I think we can leave those off and we'll just focus on the yeah, the research facilities. We'll focus on where learning is done because that's where scientists should be. Some of the coolest learning that's being done in the world today, I think is a cool jumping off point for this. So the Super Kamio Kande is a research facility that exists to detect and study the mysterious and elusive neutrino particle. Of course you would dig up some of the, the craziest stuff on the internet for this. So what is that? Uh, the facility or the neutrino particle? <laughs> <laughs> the facility. I know what a neutrino is. Oh, do you? Well, they're sitting there trying to get a better understanding of the universe with this place. And so let me paint a picture in your mind's eye. I'm going to close mine. Okay, now Jordan, paint us a picture. Okay, so start with a cylindrical tank that's 41 meters tall and 39 meters in diameter, which is about four school buses by four school buses. Holy shit. Pretty big. Okay. Take that tank and bury it 1,000 meters underground. <laughs> Probably some dwarves messing around with that thing. Yeah. Line the walls, ceiling, and floor with 11,000 photomultiplier tubes. Jeez. Which are basically these massive fisheye lens cameras. Okay. And it just has this wild look to the inside of this tank because you just got these bubbles everywhere. And then fill it with 50,000 tons of the cleanest water science can make and see what happens in there. <laughs> just observe. <laughs> Sit back and watch. Find some neutrinos. Wow. So yeah, we can make a lot of wild fantasy versions of research facilities. This is this part's kind of easy, finding some wild research facilities. I mean, you've got the Large Hadron Collider. You've got... What's the one that everyone thinks is controlling weather in mines up in Alaska? Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. A, it's got like 720 antennas or yeah. something. So there's lots of different research facilities. I think the trick is to figuring out how to make them sound like they could exist in a fantasy world. Yeah. So I think we could still like, yeah, like you said, this could happen in a dwarven stronghold that they are, they're leasing to a team of fantasy <laughs> scientists could happen in the sky could happen in a, like tapping into some other planes of existence but i think we got to just figure out like what is it they're trying to do there you got to take a fantasy need yeah so some of these real life facilities are you know an example of general research basically done for the sake of progression of science and curiosity if we understand more about the neutrino particle then we could do a lot of different things with that. So perhaps your science facility is just studying the weave at a different scope or level, like a, a micro level, when people cast spells within a spell casting sphere Ooh, or yeah. something like that. But I think that in a story being told in D&D, &D, 
we can do a lot more with some applied research where they're seeking to solve a specific problem. Mm -hmm. So what are they going to do with that weave power? Are they going to put it out into the world, allow anyone to tap into it? Perhaps. Uh, that sounds rather dangerous. That's what Tesla wanted to do. <laughs> do they want to maybe seek a new food source for an isolated society? Interesting. Yeah, do some real good in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think there's a lot of different brainstorming that we could do around that. The other place that you find research being done is within educational institutions. Heck yeah, that's where most of it happens today. So that's where Lise Meitner worked for most of her life. Okay. In the studying of nuclear fission, is that she worked with her research partner and in Vienna, and then later on in Germany, and then she left to Sweden, uh, and then she just went from university to university studying uh, what she needed to. Soaking in that knowledge. Yeah. I mean, if I'm creating a wizard in, let's say, Forgotten Realms, that's going to be the big cities. We can go straight to Waterdeep, the University of Waterdeep, or... They're going to have the resources. Yeah. Or even specifically, like the Conclave of Silvery Moon, which is where the wizards are actually taught in Forgotten Realms lore. Okay. Uh, the Ladies' College is like the center of the Conclave. And just to be clear, that's the ladies' college is in the Lady of Silvery Moon, right? Yes. It's not like just a ladies', <laughs> a ladies college. <laughs> <laughs> Let's make our characters some story beats. So what's their kickoff? Well, the kickoff for my Tesla boy, who could easily be the group funding the project, got into some rough situations. Maybe they need to uh, pull their funding and deal with some more pressing issues that are threatening their very survival. Well... I mean, you could even say the dwarves that they're leasing the uh, the facility from. <laughs> yeah, they want more, you know, they're like, where's our rent? Yeah. I mean, that's something that every scientist knows and is a pain that they feel is getting funding for doing something and researching something that will help humanity. But unfortunately, research dollars are needed. And from what I understand about scientific minds, they really do not like having to go out and schmooze <laughs> and find money. Yeah, exactly. And, and something else that comes up all the time in research is like, the deal is made. You give us money and we'll do the research and we'll give you a result for the research. But then like the scientists can't actually predict how long that research is going to take. So then the person funding comes, the dwarves come and they're like, you said you'd give us something by this time. <laughs> yeah. Just give, me a little, just give me a little more time. Yeah. <laughs> so what's the kickoff at the school? Well, this was kind of based on a thought that I was having around how absolutely wild it is that there are some casters out there in the world, like we were talking about in the beginning, that just receive powers and instruction from a higher power, from an eldritch demon or from... Uh, the you god know, of deity, or, yeah, yeah, like they just all of a sudden granted powers. But what if somebody didn't want that? Now you've got this deity that's just in your ear all the time, yeah, saying, "Hey, I have a grand plan for you, and it is your destiny." And you're just like, "Hey, I'm just trying to go to the grocery store. Can yeah. you back the fuck off?" I'm not really looking for destiny at this yeah. time. I've got a pretty good life, got a family like to raise. <laughs> This is not a, a good time. But now there's this person that's just like constantly, they've given you powers and now they're saying, go out into the world and I need you to do my bidding. Yeah. Screw that. Use my gifts upon you. I didn't ask for these gifts. 
So for a scientist, especially a wizard, who developed their powers through intense years of study and craft, yeah, and they understand the the science behind, or at least as much as they can behind magic, to help somebody sever that connection, how do you stop a deity yeah. from talking to you? Pretty noble goal. That could even be like a friend of theirs or something. Yeah, <laughs> who's who's being afflicted with a deity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the next step called resist destiny yeah. is kind of baked into both of those because our understanding of scientists is that, you know, for a lot of them, going out into the field and either having to, in your case, raise money or, in my case, you know, go out and say, like, study real casters or find people that are afflicted with, you know, having powers just thrust upon them. And figure out how these powers work in, you know, real application. Yeah. Might not be the most tempting offer. So I think that's one of the things with clerics and paladins that their god might not be throwing these spells in their hands when they're just hanging out at home or being, you know, researched in a lab. Yeah. They might only like they might have to go out in the field to see when these powers are truly called upon what happens. So it makes a lot of sense to join up with an adventuring party that maybe has one or two other casters in it. Yeah. To study them. Yeah. Your goal isn't to whatever their goal is, your goal is simply to follow so that you can observe. You're playing that weird outcast character that isn't really on board. <laughs> so that's kind of like the uh, the resist destiny mixed with the call to adventure. Right. It's like, I guess I got to get out there. Somebody's got to do it. <laughs> they literally draw the short straw. Yeah. They're like, of all of these research assistants <laughs> in the community... You we're gonna draw straws to see who has to go and risk their lives. So they've got no special talents that will serve <laughs> them in the field. Well, they are a wizard. Like, yeah, that's that's their special talent. Fair enough. I was at least thinking that my wizard would leave because maybe he could take the most punches to the face of all of them. <laughs> <laughs> and who applied these punches to the face? Who like did they discover this scientifically? Yeah, yeah, it was a machine. <laughs> everyone has to just go get wailed in the fucking kisser by a machine with a boxing glove on a stick <laughs> see who who develops the smallest bruise that is the most hardy of us my wizard's going into the world with big calluses on his face i'm ready for whatever comes my, my face way. has been hardened <laughs> so what is your tesla inspired wizard's ultimate want and need We've discussed that the ultimate want here is wanting funding for their continued research and experimentation, which is exactly what Tesla went through. And his ultimate need in this situation, maybe to realize that trying to, you know, solve the world's problems by putting magic into everyone's hands isn't the best way to go. Maybe we <laughs> need to teach some people to fish rather than teach some people to penetrate the weave. <laughs> Possibly. Well... I think for my least Meitner inspired wizard, I mean, at this time, not only were people not accepting of women in the scientific community, like she was explicitly barred from basically studying. She had to use different entrances to her own research facility. She had to research within a wood shop. Jeez. But at the time, she had a very good understanding of 
what is absolutely otherworldly kind of shit, like the deities that we're talking about, is nuclear fission. Yeah. And I would imagine you'd start to develop a pretty big chip on your shoulder of saying, listen, I can do this. I understand this. I'm going to crack this. You need to believe me and believe in me. So I think that's kind of their like ultimate want is to prove that their theories are correct about this specific tether and its ability to be severed between a person that's receiving powers and an entity that is granting them. Yeah, nobody believes that it can be done kind of thing. Yeah, and maybe their their ultimate need is just to accept that that's the way the world works. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) That you can't fight gods? (laughs) Or maybe to realize that, you know, not all of these connections are bad things. Kind of like what X-Men did. Not all mutations are bad. Okay, so then... An ally and a nemesis. An ally for the Tesla-inspired wizard could be the person that encouraged them into a life of magic. Maybe a sibling or a parent Mm. that stayed in their, you know, simpler life of labor in order to get the wizard started down their path. Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. I was kind of, again, because she had this research partner named Otto, I'm kind of just thinking that this character might be constantly writing back their findings and sending it back to uh, their original university. Okay. So this could probably provide a lot of fun role-playing opportunity to just read aloud some of the communications that is being sent back Oh yeah, yeah. on the party that this character is studying. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see. Perspectives on the party members and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. And constantly making like little scientific notes and mailing the notebooks back. <laughs> uh, and I think... For a nemesis, I would be really interested to explore what if one of these eldritch horrors or a demon or a deity found out what was going on down that there that she was trying to sever the connection or at least help people do that. Because if you're a deity and you're working on the 10,000 foot level, yeah, and there's one person that's about to fuck with your whole plan. And, you know, you've tapped this one person that is destined, that is the (laughs) only person that can achieve your higher goals. Yeah. And now there's a person down there who's working to stop that. You're making some powerful enemies, right? Wowzers. What about yours? Well, mine's definitely going to be someone that loses profit from the goals of the wizard and wants to stop them at every cost. A real Thomas Edison. (laughs) To Nikola Tesla. (laughs) Nice. Who's constantly undermining their theories. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. That's good. Okay. So let's go through a couple of personality traits that are, that we found were kind of common to both of our characters. Yeah. And common to kind of the scientific mindset. Yeah. So first you've got that scientific curiosity. Yes. That's a must. Yeah. And I think that plays out in such fun ways at the D&D table. You have to be curious about everything. Yeah. And not in the way that you're going to slow down the game or the party by trying to like stay and study. But this is a downtime activity that you could be curious about mechanisms and, uh, you know, how certain spells work and their effect on certain things. How any ability works, really. Yeah. Like curious about the monk and the barbarian and everybody. And wanting to talk to them about their abilities. What does this feel like to you? How does this affect? And taking kind of that scientific approach could be really interesting and fun to think about 
at the table as well. How does my monk feel about casting certain spells? Yeah, because I've done that a lot before too, where I don't really think about my character's connection to their abilities, their wild powers. So not only are you playing your character up, but you're actually helping other people play theirs better too. Yeah. And also speaking of not lining up totally with the rest of the party's goals in any kind of an NPC situation, you could have kind of a secondary study that you're running. Like maybe you're trying to introduce economic principles to goblins <laughs> like as you're dealing with them through the tunnels. Trying to understand how their economy works yeah. and functions. Yeah, there's obviously the value of knowledge, and sometimes that comes over morality. Yeah, those two can play against each other really well. Well, it's a very interesting exploration because you've got this group of people that isn't morally obligated, but they often do find themselves in that pursuit of knowledge to come into the quandary of, is this morally okay? Yeah. And what are the long-term ramifications of the research that I'm doing? Much like Lise Meitner, who said no to the Manhattan Project and said, no, I'm not going to help build an atomic bomb. Yeah. That was probably the opportunity of a lifetime to go work with some of the most scientific minds on her exact field, but said, no, I cannot take part in this. That's not right. Wow. And that's one of the reasons that we respect her so much. And honestly, it's why Tesla is such a cool character, too, because they both chose morality in a lot of situations over the path of pure knowledge for knowledge's sake. Absolutely. And there's been so many examples of people in the past that did not make that choice. So <laughs> you can play into that if you want. Well, they're also very humble. A lot of scientists come across as very humble. Because if you have that attitude that you know everything, then there's nothing left to learn. And it kind of goes counter to your, your sense of curiosity or your trait of curiosity. Yeah, really good scientists step back from their ego because they're seeking that knowledge. They're skeptical, which doesn't necessarily mean cynical. You're not pointing out the downsides to everything, but you're just very genuinely questioning everything. Well, you're not going to be convinced until you see evidence because that's your whole life is yeah. finding the evidence. And that could be interesting when, you know, you don't take anyone at their word, not in an insulting way, mm -hmm. just in like a, I can't believe you until you prove it. Well, and you just follow every one of those statements, you know, unfounded statements are followed up with, well, let's see the research. Yeah. Let's see the proof. I mean, if it is in fact true, then there must be proof. They still have to stay very open-minded, though. They need to be willing to go down those paths. To look at all possibilities yeah. and start to rule them out. And they can never lean too far into one, you know, belief or mindset because that will take away from... If you tackle any scientific study, if you go into the scientific study trying to prove one theory over another... Yeah, you're already compromising that experiment because you're going in with a goal and an outcome that you want to see. And of course, you've got a couple of negative traits that, you know, scientists can be selfish as heck. Yeah. Edison was a real dick. <laughs> made, made a lot of empty promises, including, you know, 50 grand to Tesla. Yeah. And he was also egotistical. He took a lot of ideas from other people and made money off of them. And thought that his were the best, even though they clearly were not the best. And they were often proven to be not the best. Yeah. 
but because they were his, they were the best. I've got a great example of one of his most ridiculous ideas for an invention at the very end of this episode. I cannot wait. <laughs> so is there anything else about Meitner that makes her a really interesting scientist slash wizard? <laughs> yeah, I think that she was just a brilliant example of somebody who went underappreciated in her time. And I mean, really, we wouldn't be anywhere near where we are today if it weren't for her research and her direct influence on the world. Wow. Yeah, that's the scientists that go down in history. Those ones that change the literal world. Thank you, Meitner. And obviously, you're kind of obsessed with Tesla right now. Yeah, because he changed the world in some pretty major ways, too. And is still doing so. Yeah. I mean, look at the cars. Yeah. <laughs> he's there. He's working there. He's he's on the assembly line. <laughs> oh, dang. He got demoted. Eh? He's, he's quality control. Jeepers. Come on, Musk. Give him a chance. <laughs> Why won't you hire <laughs> the person that you stole the name off of? So, yes, I'm going to steal the next segment of this podcast and just talk about Tesla. <laughs> you would... Folks come here to Grandma B's schoolhouse to gain knowledge and apply the history of their realm. So Tesla is absolutely a wizard. <laughs> like an actual wizard. Yes, he cast spells in real life out of the 5th edition spellbook. That we still don't understand. Yeah. Like a lot of it, we still don't get how he did what he did because his notebooks are lost and he didn't take a lot of notes because and, he did so much in his head, yeah. which is wild. Okay, so how is he abs... Like, what did he cast? So Tesla's become kind of a... Cultural a, icon? Yeah, a figure that a lot of us know about. But if you're not as familiar with Tesla, he basically was a Serbian-American inventor that came to the U.S. at the age of 34 after he'd done a lot of very interesting work and education in Europe and started working for Edison in New York. It's after that point that he did all of this wild experimentation and came up with these intense theories that he'd share with the public and made some incredible strides with the things that we still use today and often forget that Tesla came up with these ideas and concepts. Well, and after he worked for Thomas Edison, then he went head to head with Thomas Edison in the current wars. Yeah. And unfortunately lost that battle and died penniless. Whereas Thomas Edison is rich. And I mean, that whole... Well, he's not rich anymore. <laughs> he's <laughs> quite dead. Yes. It gets everybody with enough time. But I mean, that whole war is absolutely fascinating in the kind of science versus capitalism mentality. Like, it, it's brilliant. And if you haven't read books on Tesla or anything else like that, definitely give it a try. What have you got for us, Jordan? Well, going back to why he's absolutely a wizard, here's some of the spells he cast. Produce flame. Nobody can explain this, but he demonstrated this ball of fire at first, but later on in his lab... He was making balls of electricity that would just roam around his lab for a bit. What? He learned to replicate them, but he, he couldn't think of a good use for balls of electricity. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's pretty incredible. Yeah, and now people are 
actively trying to figure out how he did it, but nobody's nailed it down yet. Like, it sounds far-fetched, but people observed him doing this. Yeah. Like, there are rational, normal folk that were in his lab and could watch him do this because he could do it on command, basically. Exactly. It wasn't just written down on a scrap piece of paper. Or claimed, yeah. He cast a message because he was the first to use radio waves. Demonstrated for the first time in a remote control boat, but later, of course, used for communication between people. Can you imagine when we did have telephone lines yeah. and things like that, and that's how we transported messages, you'd have to run a cable, you know, over battlefields and stuff to get a message through. But can you imagine being there when he was like, <laughs> I'm sending a message over there. Do you see any wires? Yeah. Through the air. Okay, that's that's fucking magic. Yeah. What do you mean through the air? Telekinesis, another spell. <laughs> I refer back to that remote control boat. Yeah. That he's using radio waves on. Okay. Yeah, he's moving things with his mind. Yeah, I mean, his sort mind, yeah. like a wizard, his mind had to work really hard to get to this point. Okay. All right. I'll give you that one. Shocking grasp. So to prove that his alternating current was super safe and just to impress the crap out of people, he would publicly subject himself to 250,000 volt shocks to prove that, that it was safe. His stuff was the good stuff. Shocking grasp. Well, he'd, <laughs> he'd put himself inside a Faraday cage and just shock the living shit out of himself. So I suppose that is, in fact, a very literal shocking grasp. Yeah. <laughs> You've got Witch Bolt, which comes from his Tesla coil. The biggest bolt that he created was 135 feet long and heard from 15 miles away. Holy shit. It was also reported that around this specific lab that he had out in the prairies, to create sparks on the ground for miles around, reported by people just trying to get close and catch a glimpse. That so is So their crazy. feet would be like sparking as they walked. Wow. That's like casting Witch Bolt at a 28th level. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was not only a wizard, he was a master wizard. Affected the whole town, yeah. You got Fog Cloud, which this one was a complete accident, but at one point he turned on the currents in his lab and created a fog so thick that he couldn't see his hand. He thought that he, if he could figure it out better, it would be able to condense water in arid areas, so theoretically, he was going to create water as well. <laughs> you got a two-for-one in that one. Yeah. Wow. And this isn't a spell I know, but it contributes to that wizardly persona. He was multilingual. He could fluently speak Serbo-Croatian, Czech, English, French, German, Hungarian, Italian... And Latin. Wow. On top of all that science? What do you... What is just filling... <laughs> like, he could densely pack his brain full of information because I would have rejected like half of those if I spent my whole life trying to learn some of those languages. That's so impressive. And yeah, so now we've established he's a wizard, so take your complaints elsewhere if you don't think he is. <laughs> Easy. And the point of all this is to get to the point where we can talk about the traits that he has that might contrast with that typical idea of a wizard or a scientist. Okay. So what traits? Well, he was deeply a humanist. He wanted people to have access to all of his inventions. He had no ego to it whatsoever. Hmm. He just wanted to share with everyone. Yeah. He didn't get ruffled by people, you know, stealing his patents and making stuff for the population. I mean, these people were doing it to get rich off of it, but he's like, you know what? My ideas are getting out there, so I'm just going to keep doing more research. Yeah. 
he was not just focused on the science in front of him, but he was a complete visionary. Like ideas would literally just come to him in his mind. He'd see machines completely in his head before building them. That's kind of that eureka moment. Like, I wonder even if you are role playing a scientific character like this, you can just have ideas come to you in the middle of combat for like what you're going to do next or no, just scientific principles. Like (laughs) you could just start spouting off in the middle of combat. Yeah. And working through ideas, because like you said, he was not only working on some incredible stuff, but he had envisioned things that he couldn't possibly work on at the time. He would have to like put them aside to work on in the far future. Right. But he just had to get them out. <laughs> so you could be telling your party members about all of these. Like, I think that I can make you 78 stories tall. <laughs> I love that idea because now you're just throwing out all of these wild ideas yeah that are completely unrelated to the task at hand (laughs) he was extremely classy Mm. so sometimes you imagine the the scientist just like hunched over disheveled yeah which actually i guess edison was that too since i've been harping on edison (laughs) he was uh, not very hygienic but anyways tesla was incredibly well dressed he attended and was popular at many socialite parties julian hawthorne an author at the time even went so far as to say seldom did one meet a scientist or engineer who was also a poet a philosopher an appreciator of fine music a linguist and a connoisseur of food and drink hmm so you don't have to play like a social outcast when you're playing a wizard yeah do something to the contrary He was an animal lover. He had a beloved cat as a boy, and there's some pigeons to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Let's not talk about the pigeons. I know the pigeon story. I'm going to do it anyway. In his later years, he wouldn't just feed all of these pigeons in the parks, but he would collect the injured ones and the ill ones and nurse them back to health in his hotel room. And when he was sick, he'd just pay other people to continue doing that because he was so concerned with the well-being of these pigeons. Well, and we still don't know whether it was old age or or what have you, but like he was kind of a, a spiritual person. And there was one particular pigeon that he thought was an embodiment of a person that he loved. Yes, he was wildly obsessed with one pigeon in his later years. And there was even one anecdote of him having it fly to his window and he saw light emanate from its eyes and he was convinced that that meant that the scientific project that he was currently working on wasn't going to work. So he just trusted his instincts a lot. Like (laughs) he would be perceived as a crackpot. Yeah. If all of his stuff didn't work. Yes. But it did. And so it's like, okay, well, I guess the dude loves pigeons. Yeah. And light eyes means that he should stop pursuing the scientific because that makes as much sense as anything else that he's done. Yeah, so far. And to be fair, as much as I truly appreciate Tesla, he did have some theories that didn't pan out. (laughs) Fair enough. Everyone's got to have a couple of stinkers. Yeah. All right. So that's why Tesla is such a great source of inspiration for your wizard. Tell us what other inspirations for your wizard you've come up with. What other scientists are super cool that we could draw from? Yeah. What are other traits that are great in role-playing spellcasters? And finally, I have got something to tell you about why Edison was such a dummy. (laughs) I love disparaging Thomas Edison. Yeah. Because... I mean, everyone was kind of taught that he was the greatest, but he was actually a huge asshole. Yeah. So go on. I want to hear about this. And just to support, I don't know if I need to, but just in case you're wondering why we're being such dicks, 
All you need to know is that he was the absolute opposite of an animal lover. <laughs> well, he paid neighborhood children to electrocute cats. Yeah. So, you know, it's okay that we're making fun of him. Yeah. <laughs> and so much of the stuff that he is credited with in his career was, you know, bought patents from somebody else and he just made them better. He was a great marketer. He was an industrialist. Well, I shouldn't even say great marketer because the cat electrocuting was his marketing <laughs> campaign. Yeah, no, don't take marketing tips from him either. But he was good at just like spinning off of other people's ideas yeah. and bringing them to the mass public. And he didn't have a lot of truly original ideas like we sometimes think. And one of his terrible original ideas was the concrete house. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we're used to building floors out of concrete, but no. He wanted the walls and the ceilings to be concrete. He wanted the toilets and the cupboards and the piano to be concrete. Okay, now you went too far. I was yeah. going to say, we we do this. We do build buildings out of concrete but and rebar and all kinds of stuff like that. But you're saying you actually wanted like the countertops and the sofas and like everything in the house to be concrete? Yes. He wanted a form that you could just pour concrete into and it would create the entire house. Oh my God. <laughs> I was like, what's the point? But I guess if it was easy to just pour a house, sure, that yeah. would be pretty awesome. But obviously the reality of a concrete house is kind of ridiculous. Yeah, so his engineers had to stop him and tell him, you know, this is going to weigh 225 tons, this house. <laughs> so maybe dial her back a bit. You're going to create sinkholes. Yeah. With 225 tons. Which is exactly what happens. Apparently there was like two of these concrete houses made, but they couldn't keep making them because he couldn't get the consistency of the concrete right. And they were sinking. <laughs> The earth is swallowing your invention. Yeah. So let's let's just leave it at that and say <laughs> let's not pursue this anymore. All right. Well, I guess that brings us to the end of the episode. Uh, we have another great comment. Uh, this one's coming from Torabash30, who says, Love you guys, man. Keep it up. I've been looking for some good D&D &D content. I'm surprised you have no recognition yet on, of course, this one's coming in from YouTube. You guys are awesome. I've been listening to some of these throughout the morning. Keep it up. I'm learning a whole lot. You earned another subscriber. So that's kind of cool. Awesome. So learning. Th yeah. Thank you, Torbash. For those of you that might not know, we also have these episodes available, albeit a few episodes behind on YouTube. Because apparently it takes a lot of work. Travis is doing all this technical dumb stuff and I'm just telling him <laughs> to go faster and he's not doing it. <laughs> I'm trying. However, if you prefer these episodes in a visual medium, I suppose you could head over there. There's at least a really cool uh, intro that I worked up. Yeah, um, looks really good. Beyond that, we're also talking about potentially doing some more content there. So keep your eyes peeled for just uh, other additional content. Peel those eyes like a couple of grapes. God damn it. That's upsetting. <laughs> the, the expression is upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you can follow us on at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Reddit. You can join an awesome community of players and DMs by joining our Discord. And of course, thank you to Tabletop Audio for all of the sound effects that you heard in this episode. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening, listening and, and build it all out of concrete. Why not? Chairs, tables, meals, pets, soup. 